Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's really great being with Central Campus on uh, this amazing Sunday and also great being part of the second morning meeting. Um, and I want to just encourage you guys uh, to remember always that whenever we do something like this, it is not that we have enough people for two services. It's because we trust in God for people for two services. So uh, whenever I stand uh, at a moment of like this, I realize that every church chair, uh, still not with, filled with a, with a person, is actually just an opportunity for God to work. Um, and I think this is amazing. We do this in faith um, and uh, just being part of the first meeting um, and also now experiencing this. I really want to want to praise God. This is a good place where we are. Um, and uh, we will pray and we will trust God and we will celebrate the growth as it happens. Uh, this, uh, just looking at this crowd, it's about a third more than when we started way back in the past at Fichard Park in the old coffee shop. Um, so uh, that grew to what we now see, and uh, I know that this will grow to something amazing. So thank you also for being here, uh, for making this choice, uh, and also for our crew guys and leaders serving here. You're doing an amazing job. Maybe just a bit of feedback also from uh, the Fichard Park side. Um, the leaders there are really also very excited. This week we celebrated uh, the guys from the evening circle at Fichard Park. Uh, they bought pizza for the whole team because somewhere someone said whenever the evening meeting goes through the 500 barrier, it has happened in the past again, but whenever it happens we will eat pizza. So this week we ate pizza. Um, and uh, we're seeing a whole bunch of students flowing in there and uh, celebrating the fact that the Fichard Park campus over the last two weeks uh, kind of hovering between 1,200 and 1,300 people um, on a Sunday. Um, and uh, knowing from where we came, we're really so excited because we know that God is not excited about uh, churches filled with people. Um, that's not the thing that, that's stirring God's heart. God is stirred by the fact that each person represents an environment in which his kingdom will be glorified through the lives of people. God is not in the business of filling churches. He's in the business of changing lives and changing cities. Um, and uh, we are very excited to be part of this dream right across the family. Everybody celebrating with Central Campus uh, because we now have two morning meetings. Now, uh, it's my privilege today to share the last portion of our uh, Disciple Shift 5 series. Every year we do this series and we trust God that there will be something of a change in our hearts, a shift that takes place. Uh, our core, core business is the business of discipleship, uh, the fact that we are followers of Christ. Uh, we are like uh, acts says, followers of the way, not of a religion, but the one that said, I am the way. That's who we are. We follow a person that said, he's the way to God. Um, and in our journey with him, I think it's very important that we constantly look back at the picture of what it means to be a follower. How does the life of a follower look? And in this series, every year we address something that we know is relevant in our journey with God, and we trust him that in this series, there will be a shift in our hearts. And today, as, we, as we're going to celebrate communion um, and also focus on communion in the Word, I trust that something of the heart of communion will also shift in your heart and that you will discover something of the beauty of this 
meal of remembrance, as the Bible calls it. But I want to start with a little story. Maybe you know the story. Maybe you've heard it. Um, I'm not always that clued up with uh, sports stories. So uh, as, as you can imagine, I'm not like an athlete. Um, but uh, this is a story about a man with a name of Cliff Young. Now, Cliff Young... Um, he, he's a, he was a, a sheep farmer in, in Australia. And there's this big ultra marathon in Australia uh, that happens every year. Uh, it's an 875 kilometer ultra, ultra marathon. So that's really for, it's not a park run. It's, 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 a, it's a big one. So they usually run this like over six days. Uh, athletes will run like 18 hours, then take a break, sleep a few hours, maybe eight hours, and then go for eight hours again and in that way they they finish this this marathon in about six days so yeah pictures uh, Cliff Young 61 years old first time in his life that he arrives to run in a marathon he, he pictures not in the fancy Nike tackies and all those embarrassing tights that everybody runs with he pitches in work clothes and gumboots. You can go Wikipedia it. And he's the joke of the day. The people ask him, Cliff, so have you ever run a mar marathon? And he says, no, never. But I've been running after sheep my whole life long. And then the marathon starts. And Cliff Young, 61 years old, 875 kilometers beats the other competitors by a day. One day, he arrives at the finish mark so early that they have not yet set it up. He arrives there, and then he tries to find officials because they did not yet expect anybody to be there. And then they ask him, Cliff, what on earth did you do? How did you do this? And they started asking him, and someone asked and said, how was your rhythm? You know, how long did you run, and how long did you sleep? And then Cliff just looked at them and said, I didn't know I was, I was allowed to sleep. So he ran five days without stopping. And he won by a day. When they gave the prize money, Cliff was so amazed by the fact that they were actually paying him for this, but he, he felt very embarrassed by the fact that he was the only one because he won that, that got the prize money. So he said, no, he would like to share it with all the competitors because he thinks they all worked very hard, just like he did. And he shared the prize money. When, when, I, when I heard the story about Cliff, I thought, isn't this amazing to see someone that actually was not influenced by some restrictive rules? You know, nobody told him, you can sleep. He was just so devoted to this thing. He, it came so natural to him that he, he was not restricted by anything. And when, when I see the picture of the church in Acts, I see the same thing. They did not come from this religious picture and was trying to make, to make religion work in Christianity. They had an encounter with Jesus. And because they had an encounter with him, some things just naturally flowed out of that. And they were known for their devotion. 
It's very interesting that, that devotion is not something that comes natural to mankind. I mean, anybody here ever made a promise to yourself and not keep it? Whoever paid gym fees for a year and you only went twice? <laughs> okay, let me not confess too many of my sins. <laughs> but worse even, how many promises do we make to God? <laughs> of devotion. This year will be different. You see, the thing of the church, these followers of Christ, the followers of the way, devotion was the supernatural consequence of meeting Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says, and like we've been reading in Acts 2, um, I'm gonna, not going to read it again, it's on the, on the screen, but that we, we see that devotion to the Word. We see, we see the devotion to, to community, to prayer, and to what we're going to discuss today, the breaking of bread. But what we see behind the screen is the fact that these guys moved from information to revelation. It wasn't about the religious information that they received that kind of geared up devotion in their hearts. They met Jesus, and the Word was alive in them. The, one of the biggest problems of Christianity is the fact that we have way too much information and not enough revelation of Christ. Revelation is when you read something in the Bible and everything that God wanted to say has already been said and it's in the Bible, but when you read that scripture and suddenly it grips your heart and you know I am defined by the word of God and for this I will die. That is a revelation. The early church understood nothing else than revelation. They saw the picture of information in the religion of their time, but they lived with the word alive in them. They moved from isolation to integration. You see, religion is probably the most lonely thing you can do because it only depends on your own performance. And religion will always leave you alone. But the early church immediately, from the moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they started building this community. They were in one another's homes. They were in the temple worshiping, and it became the rhythm of their lives. The rest fell into that rhythm. It was not the add-on. It was the core. They did not even know something like a weekly get-together for Christians. They did it daily. It just flowed out of this revelation of the fact that we as a community need to worship Christ and share life together. They were devoted to prayer. They moved from this religion thing of boring repeating of rhymes and public prayers. They moved to this amazing opportunity to relationship in understanding that whenever I pray, I enter into the throne room of the grace of God and I receive His grace and it's a personal thing. They discovered that although Christianity is personal, it's not private. It's a community thing. And they celebrated that. They celebrated the fact that they, as a community, could worship God and experience Him in such awesome ways. So this, this, this community also had this thing. And I, I look at, at Scripture and I ask myself, why on earth would Luke, who wrote Acts, 
why would he put the breaking of bread, communion, as part of these primary focuses of devotion of the first church? Why would that be so important? I mean, we, we constantly have communion, and uh, the church where I came from, communion was a big religious thing, so you had like a preparation service where you had to confess your sins and make sure that your heart is pure, and then you had like this big thing where everybody came and sat at tables, and if you were not in good standing with the church, you weren't allowed to, to have communion, so it was a very frightful thing for me as, as a child. Why on earth would the early church celebrate this thing that we call communion? Isn't it like, like a very nice moment? We just kind of say, Jesus paid the price. Amazing. Let's go home. Thank you, Jesus. And then I see this picture in, in, in the Bible of Jesus introducing this meal to his disciples for the first time. See, there was like a, a tradition that came for more than a thousand years of the people of Israel celebrating the Passover. So these guys were doing like this meal for a thousand years. Every family, every year, you did not miss the Passover meal. And it was a very ritualistic remembering what God has done by taking Israel out of Egypt and giving them freedom. And uh, it was a celebration, celebration of a nation saying that we are Hebrews. It started with, a, the meal started with four cups of wine. And these cups represented uh, some of the, the cultural elements of being an Hebrew. So they would say, in Egypt, we kept our language. That was the first cup. And then they take the second cup and they said, we, we, we kept our God. And then the, the third one, they said, we kept our morals. And the fourth one, they said, we kept one another. And they started this cultural, religious celebration of what happened a thousand years ago. And very interesting, up to today, more than 3,000 years later, they still celebrate this meal. So Jesus sends his disciples, Luke 22, and he says, go prepare the Passover meal. They knew the Passover meal. So they went out, got everything ready, and then Jesus pitches with his disciples to, for the first time now, have a new Passover. But they didn't know it. They didn't know he was going to change this. I think they were very much surprised by what happened. So during this meal, there would be the breaking of bread. It was a very normal tradition. There were usually th three pieces of bread. They took the middle one, and then they would break the middle one in two, and they would hide one piece, and later the children will go, and they will seek for this half piece, which represented the Messiah that was to come and would be in the grave. So they, they, they knew what they were doing. Then we read in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, and I want to ask you to read with me, verse 14. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. So now they're ready for this cultural, religious remembering of God's work. And then Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. I think at that stage, disciples already realized, okay, this might be something very interesting because Jesus is talking about his suffering. Some of them were still very upset with the fact that he was talking about suffering. They were hoping that he's going to become the king of Israel and they're going to be the nation that rules the world. And now Jesus comes and he says, let me quickly connect this meal with my suffering. Then he says, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
I think at that moment, the disciples realized, okay, this is going to be a different Passover. This is not the same meal. Jesus is introducing a new meal because he uses a word that these disciples have never before heard in the Passover meal. And he says, this is all about the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm a centerpiece in this meal. This thing is about, this thing is about me, whether I have it or not. I think they must have been really worried at this stage. Jesus, are you actually going to change a tradition of a thousand years? Is that what you're going to do here? Are you going to challenge the cultural tradition of our Passover meal? Then he took a cup of wine. I can imagine Jesus being invited to, to, uh, to weddings, maybe with a cup high, <laughs> in a moment of celebration, saying the following. He says, give thanks to God. Take this and share it amongst you. I think some disciples might have fallen off their chairs. Because that's not the first moment of the Passover meal. The first moment is the four cups. And then we share the story of Israel and Egypt. And we talk about the plagues. And we talk about Pharaoh. And we talk about how God opened the Red Sea. And Jesus takes that whole picture and he draws it into this. He, he literally shifts them into a mode of the kingdom of God. And he starts with a celebration saying, listen guys, take this cup and share what I'm going to share with you now. This is a very special moment. Then, um, he goes on, verse 16. Uh, let me quickly just find my place. Verse 19, he took some bread. Now they knew that this is going to come, but then he does it in a different way. He says he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave each one of the disciples one saying, this is my body. Never before has someone said that. Never before has someone placed himself in the substance of the meal. They've been celebrating the meal. They've been breaking the bread. They've been remembering the lamb that was slain in Egypt to be painted on the doorpost, the blood, to be, to be announcing the Passover. But suddenly Jesus walks into that meal and he says, this bread you've been breaking for a thousand years, it is my body. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the cup, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant. I think some of the disciples at this stage were kind of getting a bit nervous because they knew the covenant, but they did not know of anything of a new covenant. They knew the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of the law, the covenant of doing. This is what you must do. This is what you're not allowed to do. And Jesus comes and he says, this, this cup is a new covenant. He literally pulls the carpet out from under them and saying, this is a new covenant meal. This is a moment 
this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. You see, later when, when Paul introduces the covenant meal again in Corinthians, he uses exactly the same words as Jesus used. This, this whole thing about this new meal, not a religious meal, not a, not a cultural meal, not a holiday meal that we celebrate typically like many people today would celebrate a Christmas and now we have a gammon and we're excited because every year we eat gammon for Christmas and suddenly someone comes and says... This is all about me. And Paul uses two concepts in 1 Corinthians 23 as he says, he says, remembrance and proclamation. Those are the two moments of this table of communion. Remembrance is very important because this is a table to remember Christ. This is a, a table where we sit at the table set by God with the blood and the body of Christ and we remember who Jesus is. When Paul writes in, 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 in Colossians chapter 1 about who Jesus is, he starts out by saying he's the centerpiece of the universe. God has placed him there. Everything was made by him. Everything was made for him. It is for his glory. He's the centerpiece of everything. And then the next moment he dives into who we are and he says, you are his people. He paid a price for you. I want to invite you to go read that scripture. It's going to take too long to read the whole portion right here now. But that remembering who he is immediately opens the door for us to see who we are. And I think that's what happens at this table. When we, when we set this table before us, and as a family, we come and we sit here, we call in remembrance who Jesus is. And that influences the way we look at ourselves. I always love and I, I'm almost af always afraid reading the scripture because when I read it, I want to pr just preach about it and forget about everything else. Listen, James 1 verse 23. As he says, you know, the big problem in, in faith is you get hearers and doers. And then he says the, the problem with many people is that they don't do because they don't understand. They just hear. Nothing has changed. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his own natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into, and then he uses a very strange concept. He says, the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres in it. He says, being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see what James is saying, he says that there's moments in our faith that we look into the perfect law of liberty. It's not the law of Moses. This is the new covenant, a law of liberty, a law of freedom. And he says, whenever we look into this war, this law, when we look into this picture of what the new covenant means, he says, we suddenly remember who we are. 
It's like that picture of looking in the mirror and you turn away and you remember your own face. You know who you are. And I think this meal, this covenant meal, is literally that picture that we are invited to this table to look into this moment, to look into this understanding of what Christ has done so that it will impact us. It is the remembrance and then the proclamation. Remembering is what we do here. Proclaiming is what we do when we go out and we start living what we've seen here. And this table is set not in a religious way, but in a very personal way and in a very community-driven way. The first thing that Jesus does with this group of disciples, he also does with us every time we celebrate this meal. And that's why I think the first church knew this was so important. The first thing Jesus does is he shifts these this disciples from a cultural reference to being the people of God. Because this was a cultural meal. This was a meal only for Hebrews. It was something celebrated every year by the Jewish people. It was meant only for them. And Jesus takes them and he says, it is not about the reference in your heritage. It is the reference of who I am. He's literally saying to the disciples, he says, it no longer matters where you come from. What matters is the fact that you are connected to me. Your identity now becomes your primary identity. The fact that you are mine, not that you are in Hebrew in this religious tradition. I think that's what Peter tried to tell us. And Peter being part of this meal, this first meal, I think this was his revelation as he sat at that meal. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race. And every Hebrew that heard that thought, yes, I am Hebrew. I am Israel. I am from the tribe of Israel. That's my identity. And then uh, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people prepared for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is a meal that shifts our identity of where we belong. You see, when we come and sit at this meal, Jesus comes and he challenges each one of us in terms of our cultural, in terms of our racial, in terms of our gender reference in saying that when you sit at this table, it's not who you are and where you come from. Your primary identity is that you are a people of God. You are in his kingdom. You are in Christ. If the church did not make this shift early in its existence, they would have only been a Jewish church. But that revelation grabbed their hearts. And when we see the picture of the church in the New Testament, listen to this, it's a picture of the church serving the nations, not serving only their own kind. 
because they were realigned in terms of identity. They, when, when you ask them, standing up from this meal, proclaim to me who you are, they would have said, we are the people of God. We are his chosen people. That's what we are. Not our reference in terms of race, culture, language, or gender. That's why Paul writes, and he says, you're all stuck up with these little things in the kingdom of God. There's no culture, race, gender. Why are you stuck up with this? You are in Christ. We desperately need to remember that. Because the moment we walk out of this church, we are again drawn into our own cultures. We are drawn into our own little corners, standing opposite one another, fighting for certain things that is culturally relevant. The position of the church was never to have a victory in any culture, but the culture of the kingdom of God. That is our culture. When I came to Christ, I was no longer an Afrikaans-speaking white man. I am of his possession. I am one of his way before any cultural reference. The second thing that happened is that these, these disciples were drawn into, into the understanding that they are, they, they are included in a new covenant. These guys, they understood the Moses covenant. They understood the law and all the subtitles of the law and everything you had to do and all the religious actions. They understood it. And Jesus came and he said, there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant. That's what the Hebrew writers write in Hebrew, Hebrew 8 verse 10. He says, for this is the covenant that in, I will make with the house of Israel after those days. That's the days of Jesus declares the Lord. And listen to this. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Wow. But wasn't the law written on tablets of stone? Yes, it was in that covenant. What happened in this covenant? God says, I come and like I wrote those laws, on, on stone tablets, I'm now writing this. Whenever you remember me and, and discover who you are, I'm writing those laws on your heart and in your mind. What is a law written in the heart of a man? What is that called? It's called a desire. It's called a desire. It's when, when you love your wife and then you get married and there's a covenant between the two of you. You don't get up in the morning saying to yourself, oh, vandag. I have to try love my wife. You know, that's, that's the number one thing. Whenever I, I, I write like little sticky pads everywhere, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. But buddy, if you're doing it, you're doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. Please come see Lorraine for counseling. When you, when you have desire in your heart, you can't help but love her. It's just you want to love her. You'll cheat at work to be with her. You'll do it. You, you want to serve her. You want to express your love. It's a desire. And God says, this is the new covenant. Not a covenant of doing, but understanding that someone has already done it for you. I will now give you this heart instead of expecting you to have this heart.
this, this scripture goes on and it say, says that, that even people would talk amongst each other saying, we know God. Oh, that's this covenant. We get to know him. And, and neighbors will love one another. That's this covenant driven by the love of God, not by the expectant of loving our neighbor. That's a law. This is a desire. You see, when we come and we sit at this meal, we are remembering what Christ did and we walk out and we proclaim that we are no longer of an old covenant. We are no longer of a doing covenant. We are of a receiving the grace of God covenant. Thirdly, this table literally demonstrates our inclusion, like the first disciples, in a new victory. Whenever the Passover meal was celebrated, it was a victory that was celebrated for other people a thousand years ago, not my victory. But when they sat at this table, it was my victory. You see, when, when, when Paul writes in Colossians 2, um, he says the following, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him. This, this, this victory is not a victory of saving someone like we see at the pool. So at the pool, you swim, you end up in trouble. Someone throws you a life vest. Then you grab onto the life vest and you kind of swim out. And you and the, the lifeguard stand next to each other for a selfie saying, he helped me by saving me. That's not saving in what the Bible says. You see, you and I were inside the boat. We fell out of the boat into the deep ocean, and we drowned in the, in the ocean of sin, and we were lying dead and lifeless at the bottom of the ocean. And Jesus, the carrier of life, dived into the ocean of our broken world, and he got us up and picked us up from the bottom of the ocean, and he put us on a new rock, on a safe place, and he gave us life that's the victory it's new life it's new life not just something a little better it's not a better life gospel it's a new life gospel so whenever the disciples in the early church sat at this table, they said, let's remember the one. Let's remember the centerpiece of the universe. Let's remember what he did for us. Let's remember we are now God's people. That is our primary reference. The kingdom of God is our home. It is our nation. It is our culture. It is our values. It is the kingdom of God. They sat at this table and said, we are part of a new kingdom. God has done it for us. It is a finished work. We will live in this reality. We will go out and we will proclaim that he did it for us. And we are part of a new victory. We will live this victory in life. I love what Martin, Martin Luther said. Listen to this. We need to hear the gospel every day. Because we forget it every day. Why do we have this meal? This is a place 
to remember and then to go out and proclaim it in the way that we live. You see, of all the things that Acts, Acts mentions, prayer and fellowship and teaching, this one is the engine room. It's the fuel of our faith. I don't know about you, but I need to remember this. Not in a religious way, but in a revelation way that I am not of this world. I am God's. I need to remember that it's not my effort. It is Him. I need to remember I don't have to get the victory. I need to receive the victory that He accomplished on the cross. Today we want to invite you to a table of remembrance. We want to invite you to come share in the value of this table. God inviting you for a meal, saying, let's prepare a meal. I want you to remember what I did and who you are and how you look at life. And then when we finished with a meal, we go out and we proclaim that to be the truth. While the worship team coming to the stage, will you please stand with me? And we're going to pray and then we are going to celebrate communion together today. Father, as we now are going to partake of this covenant meal, we want to ask that you would do the same in our lives as you did to those first disciples. Will you come and strip us of our religious thoughts about communion? Will you come and, and, and clear our hearts and minds about religion and how this looks in religion? Will you please come and make this a place of meeting you? Will you please come and shift our hearts in terms of who we are, in terms of what we do, and in terms for why we are here? Will you come and shift it? We are your people. We have a new agreement with you. And we live a victory that was done in our place and for us. Today, we want to remember that. I invite you to come forward. You'll see that there's a bit bigger buns and bigger cups. I want to really encourage you to share with someone. Find someone you don't know, and if you're really uncomfortable with that, find someone you don't know that well. And share it with someone. Break the bread. Give someone a bread and say, remember who you are. Remember who Christ is. Remember this. Also the cup, you're welcome to share it. We know the coronavirus somewhere. You're okay. This is God's family. This is not, I want to say it so carefully. This is not the table of Holy Communion. Oh God, strip us of that thought. This is not the table of Holy Religious Communion. This is a place of the recalibration of our faith. This is where we, we remember who we are, who He is, and how life looks. Please come forward and serve each other with communion. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.